Welcome back to another episode of the Corporate Pilot Guys podcast. I'm Tim, and our other Corporate Pilot host is Rob. I'm Rob. I'm here. How you doing? I'm doing well. How are things going for you north of the border? Well, it's been a long week. Uh, you know where I've been, and yes. uh, I think we're going to talk about it. Yes, you were at the happiest place on earth. Not. Yes. Not really. <laughs> no. You were at training, so we are going to talk about your recurrent training event. I also want to bring up that the older episodes of the Corporate Pilot Guys podcast, some of them had not so great audio, but through the power of artificial intelligence, those very same episodes have fantastic audio now. Uh, The last episode that we did, you were in a hotel, and the audio on your end was not great, but when you listen to that episode now, which is about poutine or poutine and uh, whatever else we talked about, that episode has absolutely flawless audio thanks to AI in it. Incredible. The cool part was it only took about five minutes to do what I did. And if you go into our Discord server, which there will be a link in the description of this episode, there is a section of the Discord server where I put a sample of before and after from the last episode. And you can hear the difference and it's it's mind-blowing. It's just mind-blowing in general what AI can do. It is. It feels like we're... uh... Oh, embracing some crazy new technology, which we are. We are, yeah. It's, it feels it's like we're cheating, cheating, though. Oh, it yeah, does, like what it, it does. What should take a a college education in editing, you can now do just by dragging and dropping a file into a box on a, a website. It's that yeah. simple. How I did it. I mean, there's a little bit more to it than that, but that's that's the gist of it. That music means it's time for an ATC tip. This episode's tip is about procedure terms and holds in lieu of a procedure term. This is Virtual Dallin with your ATC Minute. A procedure turn is the maneuver prescribed to perform a course reversal to establish the aircraft inbound on the intermediate or final approach course. Procedure turn, or hold in lieu of procedure turn, is a required maneuver when it is depicted on the approach chart. However, the procedure turn, or the hold in lieu of procedure turn, is not permitted when the symbol NOPT is depicted on the initial segment being flown, when a radar vector to the final approach course is provided, or when conducting a timed approach from a holding fix. Entry from the terminal area onto the procedure is normally accomplished with a no-procedure-turn routing or via a course reversal maneuver. The published procedure will be annotated NOPT to indicate when the course reversal is not authorized when flying within a particular TAA sector. Otherwise, the pilot is expected to execute the course reversal. The pilot may elect to use the course reversal pattern when it is not required by the procedure but must receive clearance from ATC before beginning the procedure. So go ahead and ask for that straight-in approach or see if you can do a course reversal if you feel it's necessary. ATC will usually allow it. Thanks to Don for another great tip. Get your drink and your snack ready. Rob's going to tell us all about his recent experience at recurrent training. We've talked about recurrent training, but it's fresh on your mind. I went last month, I guess, to begin this part of the podcast. Mm -hmm. How did you prepare for training? Well... As I think I've mentioned this before, the, the first part is the ground school side of things, and that's all done online, Tim. So it's basically a, a course that's sent, to, like courseware that's been sent to you. You go through all the different modules. So you're going to go through everything from electrical, um, pneumatics, um, the engines, the APU, the fuel, all that fun stuff. And 
all the content that you would have originally taken when you did the initial type rating, you're going through all of that. So obviously I have a lot of notes and that kind of thing from original training. Um, I combine that along with new information that's been given to me. Um, in preparation for the very first day that we show up at SIM and then we basically do a 30 question exam and that covers off all of that um, ground school stuff. And so you, um, when you're going through this course online at home on your own time, do you prefer doing that and spending less time at training or do you prefer being at training in a classroom with other people and an instructor? Yeah, that's kind of a catch-22 situation. Unfortunately, um, I mean, Tim, I really like being in ground school with other people. You learn so much. You learn you about- You to hear good stories. Yeah, great stories. And, you know, some sometimes are a little bit long and that makes the training longer. But um, you do hear other, you know, operators and uh, their their concerns and and how they've dealt with them and that kind of thing. I do like- the level of detail that they've gone to with the online ground school. I find it's, it's concise. It's the information that I need. Um, the, the, the sad part of it is, is that the people that originally taught me ground school for this aircraft are no longer even there anymore. They're not they're They've retired. So, mm-hmm. That, and that, that's not good because that that particular person was was actually someone that is highly technical um, technical person worked on the aircraft knows every little component um, all the little compartments all the little switches all the little wires all of that stuff that I don't necessarily need to know Tim but right. he knows all of that and if I have a question he can you know, bring that vast knowledge along with, you know, military um, experience that he has working on long range uh, surveillance aircraft in the Canadian military, uh, all of that in a, in a way that it, my little pilot brain can understand. He was very, very good at doing that. So I, I'm going to miss that, that personality. Um, but in lieu of that person, I think certainly the way of the future and the way we are going no matter what is going to be online and it's a cost savings measure for sure because i believe for our airplane i'm not certain on this because i have heard them say we're not going to use it i think everybody prefers to do in-person ground school our course is monday through friday when we do it i mean you could start on a tuesday but it's five days and i really like the in-person i'm willing to try the online version um mm-hmm. and i know i know a lot of people that do it and and like it but there's pluses and minuses to both you do the in person you're there a couple of days longer you do the internet version then you can study it on your own from your home uh, yes. and then just show up and do the simulator training and i think for us it's a it would be a three-day event versus a five-day event yeah, and like you know, it's it's a savings things, uh, Tim, and you know, it's also unfortunately just the way things industry's going. If you're yeah. if you're becoming an airline pilot, you'd be doing the same thing. You'd be doing online training. I have a friend that's taking seven thirty seven NG course right now. It's exactly the same thing. It's online. 
And that's just the way things are, unfortunately. Yeah. So you did the ground school before you got there. Yeah. When you did get there, you were there, what, four days, Monday through Friday, Monday through Thursday. That's right. So Monday, the very first, well, first of all, it takes an entire day for, to me to fly from Western Canada to Montreal. So it's a five hour flight um, on a beautiful, um, I'll call it an Airbus A220, but I don't want to call it that. It's a Bombardier C-Series aircraft. So an, a Canadian design and built aircraft. Now, um, now the new name is Airbus A220. Um, incredibly quiet aircraft, geared turbofan engine, really, really incredible plane, very enjoyable, huge windows. Um, you know, if you're into flying and, and the experience of it, it's, it's wonderful, Tim. So on that for, for five hours, big time change for me, um, which is, isn't great. Um, land there kind of, uh, in the evening, uh, go for dinner, up early in the morning and then you're in the the classroom writing that exam which is quite a bit of pressure because it can be anything anything whatsoever tim on what you've just studied for the last month it could be absolutely anything do you feel the online ground school that you complete when that was done did you feel ready for the test because every time i've done the test you take notes throughout the first two days of ground school and you take the test and usually, pretty much every time I zip right through that thing, and it's easy. And I usually get a hundred or miss one. Uh, I will admit I did miss one. <laughs> um, so it so the online ground school does prepare you for the written. It does, it does. But I, I, I find that you know there's the way it's written. You know your typical government exam. Um, they could be very, very close answers, and you really absolutely need to know what you're talking about. Yeah, really pay attention, yeah. Yeah, I really do. And I'm guessing it's like like ours. It's multiple choice. There's different sections. It's majority of it is systems. Then there's some yeah. avionics questions, and then it probably ends with a couple performance questions where you have to work a weight and balance. Exactly. Exactly. That's right. Pretty much the same. Seems like every... And we go to different training facilities. You go to Brand X, I go to Brand Y. But they're all very, very close to one another. They are. And, you know, you've been to my brand and I've been to your yes. brand as well. We, we, know, we know that they're pretty similar. I mean, there's different nuances. And, you know, the, the, uh, the interesting part about where I went to, it was originally where the aircraft was built. So you've got people there that have flown the aircraft, our instructors that are working with us throughout the, that week actually fly the planes off the line for testing purposes, like, you know, initial flights. Yeah. So the, these are very experienced people. And um, yeah. That's good. A lot of the instructors yes. you have now, there's some out there that have never flown jets that are teaching right. ground school in a jet airplane, but they've yeah, never I, seen the thing. I've Some of the instructors, they've, they've never even seen it, but maybe they've seen an airplane the airplane they're teaching one time, the actual physical airplane. Yeah. I had, a I had an instructor. This is not the same plane, but the, I was learning the Hawker years ago. And my instructor was actually an F 16, uh, like squadron commander in the United States air force and oh, had wow. never even seen a Hawker before, but yeah. he was very good at teaching and, you know, therefore learned the systems and all of that kind of stuff. And I'm sure they showed him a hawker at one point, but he certainly hadn't flown it. 
at least so yeah. we can identify one if they see one <laughs> while they're outside with a, yeah. with a customer. Exactly. Yeah, we have a guy that does ground school. He's a, he's just a ground instructor. He is he's not a pilot at all. Just a ground instructor license. He served in the military, but he wasn't a pilot. But man, he okay. knows the airplane inside and out. Yes. And they those guys that do that, they they have a knack for what they do and they do a very good job, especially this guy I'm talking about, which I won't say his name, but he does a very, very good job for having no uh no loggable flight time. So when you when you got there, you did the written and then did you get in the sim on day one or is that day two? Yeah, we sure did. Um so Typically what happens is you finish your exam, you mark it, you correct it to 100% and you make sure everything's good and you sign it off and that portion's done and you can kind of forget about that. The next thing that happens, Tim, is we we actually go into a briefing almost immediately. So the briefing is going to discuss what's going to happen in the simulator in the next four hours. So we're going to talk about okay, today we're going to be taking off and we're going to be doing some steep turns. We're going to be doing, you know, X, Y, Z. We're going to be climbing a thousand feet. We're going to be doing high altitude stalls, yep. all of that fun stuff. So all of that's dealt with. Um, little, like when, when I say little breaks, I'm talking 10 minute Ten minutes, maximum, yeah. 15 minute breaks. Kind it's of the thing. same at brand Y. Yeah. They say 10 yeah. minutes, but you can, you can take 15 if you need 15. Yeah, well, if you take too long, the other, your other they will uh, come. They'll come looking for you. They, they will, or or your other um, compadre is going to be in the simulator w- without you and getting the airplane ready. I've yes. had that happen before. Oh yeah, because they want to get mm-hmm. out of there too. They do. The first day, if it's like my recurrence, the first day is the easiest day. Not a lot of engine failures. Not a lot of systems failures. You're doing the air work, steep turns. Uh, high altitude stalls, some low altitude stalls. You do the three, you do um, the clean, then the approach configuration, then the landing configuration. Mm-hmm. Some with autopilot, some not. And I think they usually throw in an approach or two on the first day. And then the next day is when they start breaking stuff. You usually have a uh, hot and heavy day, and then they start breaking stuff. And then you're doing single engine uh, missed approaches and it, it gets busy as the days progress. And then the last day, check ride day, seems to be the easiest day because you've done everything. And usually they only give you one failure at a time versus while you're in the sim, in the training portion, they may give you multiple failures at the same time. That's right. Um, th- you know, the first day one is, um, it's to basically blowing all the rust off of you. Mm-hmm. You know, like like steep turns, you haven't done them an entire, you know, since the last time you were there. Yeah. So in a jet, just just so we're, you know, help people understand here. If you're trying to do a steep turn in a jet and you're trying to do it like you did in a Cessna 172, it's not going to work too well. So it it the the general concept is, you know, you roll through 30 degrees angle of bank, you probably add a little bit of power. Um, a little bit of back pressure and that kind of thing. You roll through 45 and you hold it there, right? Right. That's kind of, you know, how it works. Well, in a jet, specifically the Challenger, we turn all of the automation off. So there's mm-hmm. no flight directors, no auto throttles, no autopilot, none of that. This is a completely hand-flown event. We do this um, at, uh, I believe it's, 
there, there's two numbers here, but 240 knots to 250 knots at you know at, at a safe altitude. And we kind of do if you've uh, if you've ever flown before, we do the halt or the hazel check to kind of make sure that everything's you know uh, the altitude's good, the area is good. We both have our straps on. We're, we have you know we're at an improved area to doing all this training. It's hypothetical, obviously we're in a simulator, right? But we make sure that all of these things are all done. And then what we do is we ask the other pilot to increase the thrust by 2% as we roll through 30 degrees angle of bank. And then we pitch the nose of the aircraft up above the horizon 2.5 degrees. And that is the magic number for our airplane. Yours is probably completely different, Tim. It's about three, yeah. And it's very similar, but we can't have the other guy touch the throttles. We have to do it. So we do the same thing. We roll into the uh, 45 degree bank turn. We do ours at 230 knots. And then once you're, you get the speed set at 230, as you're rolling in, bump the power up 3% in one. And then that usually holds your speed pretty close going around. And you do the steep turns to 180 degree turns or 360 degree turns. They usually say your choice. And most people do 180s, but you can do whatever. But that's pretty much it. The guy in the right seat, mm-hmm. you can have them call out 30 degrees, 20 degrees, 10 degrees until you're exactly. on the heading you're supposed to roll out on. Exactly. So we do the same thing. Um, we, we, what we, we call it a, cup, a uh, steep turn to a commercial standard. And uh, that's where we do the, the 180 degree reverse turn. So if anybody who's doing the Canadian commercial pilot uh, type course, Maybe even private pilot. I don't know what what's done anymore. Um, I think private's just three sixties, but one hundred and eighty degrees roll out, and then come all the way back through. And then, you know, it's after you roll out, Tim. It's also important now. You have to get the aircraft stabilized, so they're looking for all of that, right? Yeah, and that's the hard part. Like if you're doing one hundred and eighty degree turn to the left, and then doing a hundred and eighty degree turn to the right, when you're rolling wings level to go to the other way you've got a whole bunch of nose up trim in there to help you hold the pitch up at two and a half yes. to three degrees during that steep turn. So yes. when you're taking that bank out, this thing's wanting to pitch up like crazy. You got to put a lot of forward pressure on that yoke, keep the That's thing right. from climbing because you got to keep your altitude within a hundred feet. That's right. So you're usually just cranking that bank in there pretty quick to relieve cranking that and pressure. Banking. Yeah. Cranking and banking. <laughs> so they are fun to do. Uh, yeah. They can take a little bit of work if you haven't done them in a while, but Last time I did it and I wanted to do it again. It was close, but I didn't like it. It, it was sloppy. And previous times I've gone, I've been really smooth, but you have good days and bad days flying. Same in this as in the simulator. Totally. I, I happen to have a good I happen to have a good day, um, which meant I only had to do them um, you know, once. Uh well, I actually did them the next day. But anyways, to to carry carry on here, um day one upper air work the one big thing that's changed i think i may have talked about this before is there was an an accident that happened tim it was with an airbus a380 and a challenger 605 and unfortunately the 605 got too close to the wake turbulence behind the a380 and had a major major upset event and you can check it out if you'd like um so we now have to do a completely automated upset. So basically we're at high altitude, flying along, 
normal cruise, and then they press a button and this automated sequence occurs and the airplane basically flips upside down uh, as if being caught into into a wake turbulence behind an A380. Oh, wow. It, it, it could be nose up, could be nose down. Um, but a lot the, of roll. Like all, like when I say roll, you were actually, to get out of this event, you're rolling to maximum aileron deflection. So this is like not just a little bit. This is this is major out of control situation. So the only way to get out of it is to roll basically kind of with it, but don't fight it, not fight it. And then, and then the whole idea is you basically unload first because you got to unload the G's. And then what you want to do is, is, uh, if you're upside down, remember this could be happening at night, um, you know, in IMC conditions or whatever it may be. So you gotta use um, all the cues that you have. So I have I have a video on that on my uh, Foxtrot Alpha Aviation YouTube channel of an actual um, simulator uh, training event. You could check that out. Um, that's showing the exactly what we do. It's very violent. Um, it can really really throw you for a loop. No pun intended. Did they teach you the little any memory aids like push roll power stabilize? Does that ring a bell? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And our simulator does not have uh, the upset or the, what do they call it? Uh, UPRT up, upset recovery training. Ours isn't approved for that. Yours sound like, sounds like it is. We did upset recovery training in extra 300s out in Arizona. And that was one thing that we had to know before we even showed up was push roll power stabilize. And what is push roll power stabilize? So the push part, um, it, I mean, this could be a little bit different in your aircraft, but the first thing for us is we want to unload. So if you're, if you're, if you're climbing, descending, whatever it may be, you have to unload the pressure that's on the controls. So the push part for us is pushing the nose over. Is it would be the same for you? Mm -hmm. Yep. Okay. Um, now, if we are in a situation where we're nose low, then we're going to come into power to idle. Um, we may be, you know, really, really, really descending rapidly. We're now we got to get flight spoilers on that kind of thing. So maybe go ahead with what you what what, what you remember. And well, it's pretty uh, much the same thing. We do um, critical attitude recoveries, and it's pretty. It's very similar to doing critical attitude recoveries. And that's something if you're a student pilot, you're going to do critical attitude recoveries. If your nose is high, you want to add power. You're trying to do everything you can to stop the airplane from slowing down too rapidly. So you're going to add power and then you're going to lower the nose. Same thing with us. Do the push, roll, power, stabilize, push or unloading the airplane and helping it prevent from having a stall. But also if you have a high G load, your stall speed is increased. And then roll, you're rolling wings level because if you're in a 90 degree or just say a 45 degree bank turn with the nose down, well, it takes a lot more G-force and a lot more time to pull the nose up above the horizon in a 45 degree bank turn than it does with the wings level. So you're leveling the wings, then pulling up. You're also reducing the load on the airplane. And then power, if your nose is down, you're reducing power. If the nose is up, you're adding power and then stabilize. You're just going back to a level pitch attitude. And then from there, 
you can go back and talk to ATC, let them know what happened. Hey, we just had a weight turbulence event and yes. then go back to your normally assigned altitude or get the airplane on the ground, which may be an option. Do they train you when you have that at training? Mm-hmm. Is that a thought process? Are we going to continue or are we going to put the airplane, get the airplane on the ground to check for structural damage? Um, we, we, we generally would continue. Um, it would depend though. Like if you think about what happened with that A380, they were over the ocean and, um, it's actually an incredible thing. We can talk about it another time, but basically the aircraft was almost completely destroyed and the pilots managed to land it and, uh, the aircraft was rode off and there was massive G's, just a horrible situation. Um, yeah, and these airplanes yeah. aren't rated for a lot of G-force. No. Uh, the number in our book, I think the max positive Gs, I think with flaps up, it's 2.6 Gs. I think yeah, that's I all think it is. It's not very much. For 2.5, it's not very much, and it's very, very little negative. We'll get right back to this story, but here's an airplane buying tip from Ryan McGill of McGill Aviation. If you're buying a plane, this is Ryan with McGill Aviation, and this is your, if you're buying a plane, tip of the week. And believe it or not, it is not required for you to run a title search on a plane to transfer ownership. This makes it very easy for you to inherit somebody else's money problems. Run a title search every time, no exceptions. You can find me at McGill Aviation on Instagram and TikTok. Continuing on for day one, we did uh, basically what we call an RVR 1200 takeoff, so a little bit lower visibility. Um, we had a TCAS event, so we had traffic uh, collision uh, and avoidance uh, event. So we're flying along, and all of a sudden, um, some situation occurs, and an airplane flies in front of us, and we have to do the traffic. Traffic. Yeah, traffic, traffic, and then. And then initially you don't really do anything because it's it's kind of like it goes into like a yellow mode and then it goes into, um, so it says traffic, traffic, and then it'll say traffic, climb, and or descend or whatever it is. And what you're doing is you're looking at your vertical speed indicator and it'll show a red area and a green area. And what you do is you pitch the aircraft's nose into the, the green. green area and that gets you into a safe area and you hold it there basically the other thing we had some other failures we had a, we had a blocked pitot tube which is everybody's favorite question to ask a, a pilot is what happens when a pitot tube is blocked how, how do your instruments act and you know your altimeter is going to act um or sorry your airspeed indicator is going to act like an altimeter and uh yeah. exactly so we had all that fun stuff and but the, the, um, the correct answer is well, I'm just going to steal the co-pilot's air data computer. So I'm just going to hit the button to transfer my information from his side to my side. And, and that's a correct. Absolutely. But what the instructor was looking for us to do was to pull the checklist out, Tim. Yes. <laughs> and uh, go through the whole motion. So do so. you have any procedures in your airplane like that where there's not really a checklist or it's hard to find? Is we run into that, something will happen. Like, well, there's not a specific checklist for this. Oh, yeah. You have to just many. know exactly where to go. There's many of those things. And, uh, you know, some of them are, you know, pretty obvious. And we've trained for them and that kind of thing. And But um, 
and you know that you wanted, you know, you're like, oh, okay, I know it's ADC one or two. I just yeah. want to, I, I just, I just want to turn it. You know, you just want to push it. You know what it is, but they want you to get the checklist out and they find do. It. They do. So are, are you using a, a paper checklist or QRH, or can you use an no. electronic one on the iPad? We are using our company has switched 100 percent to electronic uh, QRC, which mm-hmm. which so it's a quick reaction checklist. And what okay. happens is is that turns into a QRH. So, for example. I'll just give you a really quick example here. So I'm just going to give you, give you like what we call, um, we used to, and this is an, another interesting thing, is we used to 100% memory items on all QRC related things. So for example, an APU fire, um, that kind of thing, we had to know exactly what it was by memory, Tim. Every every single thing had to be memorized, all all of all of them. When I flew Citations, they had memory items, but the Gulfstream, the G200, there are no memory items. None. Well, this is the very first year that I've trained that I did not have to memorize things for the Challenger 650, 605. So, for example, like an APU fire, it's pretty simple. I mean, the APU fire push, you press it in, you wait five seconds, and the APU fire light, if if it's still on after five seconds, we... Uh, AP bottle armed, press and hold to discharge, and that's that's the QRC side of things that used to be the memory item. And then right below that on our on our QRC is a link to uh, the QRH, and that would go into is it still on, and do we need to evacuate, and pressurization, and all that kind of stuff. So it's a very cool checklist. It works really really well, and that's. Kind of what day one was all about. Uh, day two um, was very, very busy. It was, um, we we knew that we were going to be doing our check ride at JFK. We we knew that, Tim, right out, right out of the, the, at the very, very beginning. So we wanted to get everything done as quickly as possible in the first two days. So that we could have day three. As sim as as a as a review day and basically to go through every possible solution or or situation that we could be put into potentially for our JFK check ride. So sim two really really busy wind shear, uh, control flight into terrain, uh, TAWS event which is the same same thing uh, engine relay procedure severe damage. Um, uh, all, all, all so many different type of engine problems. Yeah, Flame right, engines. Yeah, I was gonna say engine failures. You probably had engine failures on the when you were going missed as you're adding the power. You probably had an engine fail right there. Yeah. So the kind of the first thing that we do is in, in we'll kind of lead into the check ride here. But basically, uh, we have a reason for us to reject takeoff. So it, typically, it's going to be something like a one of our screens, so a PFD or an MFD screen fails, or some other reasons, maybe a, a thrust reverser deploy or something that happens in that zero to 80 knots uh, speed regime. And that it, and for us, when that occurs, there's basically a memory item that has to happen, and it's a, it's a sequence, it's gonna be you know, all of these things happening and the aircraft gets stopped and then we have to pull out a specific checklist 
which is mm-hmm. going to be rejected takeoff checklist. And then it leads into other things like brake cooling. We just practice all of this stuff. Um, and a lot of the times it's once we say the words, okay, we're going to pull out the brake cooling checklist, then the, the instructor or the check ride um, person will say, okay, maneuver is complete, move on to the next one or whatever it is. We're getting a little short on time. Yeah. Uh, fast forwarding to the check ride day. So the yes. check rides, when I've taken them, they usually take pretty close to two hours. And then you switch, the other guy sits left seat, and it's another two hours. Mm-hmm. So I'm assuming yours is the same, probably four approaches. What was yours like? Probably just like that. I think they're all pretty much the same. So the big thing for us is because of the training that we have to have for low visibility operations, We in Canada, we kind of split that into two different things, Tim. First one is reduced visibility operations. The next one is low visibility operations. So we do an RVR 600 takeoff. Um, so that's, you know, that's one eighth of a mile. That's not very much, not very much visibility. So you've got to make sure you've got like center line lighting, high intensity, uh, lighting runway, lights, um, yep. runway lights. You got to be able to see three, uh, runway lights in front of you and the, the crew has to be certified and on and on and on. Once you have all that, we do rejected takeoff. The next thing we do is uh, a normal takeoff and then it'll lead to, um, at that point, you could maybe be doing steep turns or stalls or whatever the examiner wants you to do. Uh, so we have an event where we have uh, an engine failure, uh, a fire, that kind of thing, leading to the return back to the airport single engine. We typically would do that um, with an ILS or something of that nature. The aircraft lands, we re- reposition the aircraft, do another departure, it'll probably going to be a V1 cut. So the aircraft will lose its engine after V1. And for us, that's, you know, around 130 knots approximately. Um, remembering that we only have an eighth of a mile in in, in very, very poor lighting conditions. So yeah, I mean, near, the center line becomes your friend. Yeah, absolutely. So um, on, on an engine failure, um, it's a very violent thing that happens so the aircraft's nose wants to yaw left or right and you want to get that the um the rudder pedal in there enough so that the you can keep that center line fairly close to where you were initially basically you want to just keep you want to parallel it and our aircraft has so much thrust we're talking nine thousand pounds of thrust in engine um, that we really need to, to counteract the yaw after takeoff. So we have to get in the aileron as well. And then it's kind of this slow, slow procedure of getting the nose to come up. If you bring the nose up too fast, um, bad things happen really bad. So then there's a whole procedure where we, where we, um, contain the engine, that kind of thing, relight it come back in for what we call an SCDA approach. So this is a non-precision VOR approach leading to a go around. Um, and then eventually uh, we're gonna get into a circling approach and our cir- circling approaches that we do at JFK are, are kind of unique. Um, we'd be something like a four left approach circling to a 13 right. So that is, if you were to check that out, um, that is a 
a long, long ways around the airport. So you'd fly all the way down four left. So that's, so you're going to pass two different runways. Yeah. And then the runway is going to be off your right wing. Yes. And you're not going to be able to see it from the left seat in the simulator or in an airplane. You're not going to be able to see that. No. So it, it, it was, it's, uh, yeah. We, so we spent a lot of time on day three preparing for that. Like, and we, we, pre- we prepare for, a four left arrival, a four right arrival, circling to three one right. Um, it it is a very stressful event, Tim, as you know. Um, there, I ate a so check many, ride day. Yeah, I mean, we cover so many different things. I didn't mention we do an oral um, examination prior to the check ride uh, before we, and you know, they look at all of our documents and all that kind of stuff. And in our particular case, they asked us about dimensions of the aircraft, fuel. Um, then they ask about reduced and low visibility operations and, you know, there, there's, there's a lot of potential gotchas and then there's a long debrief afterwards and, um, hopefully there's a big sigh of relief at the end. Um, there definitely was for me and this check ride went, um, better than the, you know, probably the last two for sure, but they're very stressful for me and, I get kind of worked up almost a month prior to it. Wow. And I, uh, I, I really need to kind of, you know, come down after <laughs> coming home and, and to try and relax. And we have about three days or so to do that. Check ride used to bother me. We, when we were, when we had a 135 certificate, we had to do 135 rides, which you had a full on check ride every time you went to training, like what you have. Yes. Now we're yes. part 91 only, so we have a progressive where you have to do the different tasks on the check ride. So you have to mm-hmm. say, do a hand-flown ILS. Well, we do the hand-flown ILS during training. If we complete it satisfactorily, we're done with that part. We don't have to do it again. It's basically a review, and if you review within standard each time you do it, mm-hmm. you're good. So that you're having a check ride as you go, and that makes it a lot easier, but... Check rides always made me a little bit nervous too. Usually the morning of, I thought, oh, what if they ask me something I don't know? But they will. They're going to ask you something you don't know. It's it's normal. This is how I look at check rides. You're flying a heading or a course, you're climbing, descending, and you're running a checklist. That's the yep. check ride. That's all you yep. do. If you can do those things, you're going to do fine. The biggest thing is don't get yourself into a situation where you're unsure of what's going to happen or if you're unsure that, should I even be in this situation? If you just like, if you descend too soon, uh, if you go below MDA initially, if you catch it, go missed approach mm-hmm. right away. Things like that. Yeah, there's so many we could do like check ride tips, but there's just so many things that you you need to think about. But you are absolutely right. Um, you just follow a procedure. Don't get you know the biggest thing that I learned for this from this check ride is just to take your time, allow like for example. When we have a V1 cut, first of all, nothing is even said at all until we reach 400 feet. And then at that point, you know, it's it's not a huge rush. And I think that that's something that by knowing memory items from the past, now that we're forced to use a checklist or a QRC, it's very methodical. Even if we have an engine fire, the in, if you have an engine fire, the thing's still producing thrust. I think I learned to relax a little bit more, to trust that, 
you know, these checklists are built a certain way to, you know, things to occur in, you know, in a methodical fashion and just to trust with that and that um, realizing the, that the, the pilot monitoring is an extremely important person in the type of aircraft that we fly. Yes. And they are very, very, busy. very busy during a check ride. More than the pilot. I'd say. Yeah, by far. Yes, I agree. That's all I have to say about my exciting week in Montreal. Um, I had some uh, really good uh, local cuisine there put in. I had some Montreal smoked meat and uh, other delicacies that uh, we'll, we'll leave to your imagination. When you were at training, did you, did you get your fill of uh, free coffee and snacks? Definitely, uh, snacks are a big thing, and especially the ice cream cooler. It's so uh, oh, nice. It's a huge. I've only treat been to one training that. facility that had in the ice cream freezer, and that was in Orlando. Good place for ice cream, but yeah, they had ice cream. Um, yeah, every I remember everything one time. Is, mm-hmm. One time I went and I got the guy I was at training with. I think he probably had like five popsicles per day. <laughs> but they're fine they're really good popsicles i had some too yeah they so they every single day um that you show up so from monday to thursday you have a meal um it's it's a, a pre-made meal for you um if you're there during in a classroom during like the noon hour kind of thing they actually bring you the meal so they and they're really nice you have like a an entree um a salad and a dessert then they're delicious and then typically what will happen is sometime during that week you'll have like an what they call an industry meal day and so they'll have like their partners come in and they'll do like a a smorgasbord kind of thing which is great you may be yeah. in a simulator when that's happening but you know that's kind of there and then there's every kind of coffee you can think of Expressos, you hot know, you name it. Tea. Hot chocolates, you name it. I, I do miss in your neck of the woods, uh, sweet tea, which, which, uh, oh yeah, <laughs> we don't have that here. There's a right and a wrong way to make sweet tea. Some people will make it just the tea. They put the sugar in it and then stir it up. That's wrong. You boil the water, put the sugar in the water so it's super saturated, and then put the tea in. Otherwise, yeah. sugar will just settle to the bottom. Wow. Okay. Didn't know that. Yeah. When you do it that way, it won't settle at the bottom. And I was on a trip down in, I think I was in Georgia. And I asked, what's the right way to make sweet tea? And the the, the waitress at this restaurant goes, oh, you got to boil the sugar in the water first. You mix it. And then that way your sugar doesn't sink to the bottom of your glass. Oh, that's, and it that's does really so smart. That's, that's the trick. So they definitely look after us uh, from a food perspective and eating, drinking, you name it. And this is, when I say ice cream chest, this is like a large thing that you would see in a a store, that kind of thing. And they have every kind you can imagine. They have popsicles, they have Kit Kats, um, Snickers ice cream bars. Oh yeah, it's all there. So, I mean, you spent a lot of money to get trained and you know they want you to come back and they're they want you to f- feel great when you're there they're bribing you with obstacles they are 100 percent. yeah and it's, it's all training facilities they they all have some little thing like that they'll have bicycles where you can go out and ride and go on trails they tell you all this stuff on day one but who do you know that has time to go do that stuff 
when you're at training. Nobody, unless you're no. for, unless you're going for an initial and you've just got a day where you're not doing anything because you can't go home. Yeah, that might be it. Re- recurrence or you're there. Like, I mean, it just happens so fast. Yeah, you're in and out and you're gone. Yes, yes. Yeah. And that is it for this episode. And if you have a question or a show idea, we now have a Discord server. There is a link in the description on how to access that, where you can talk to both of us, leave questions, uh, comments, whatever you like. You can also email us at the corporate pilot guys podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. Have a wonderful week, everybody. Take care.